Welcome to the New Books Network. Good morning, good evening, good night, NBN Entrepreneurship and Leadership. Personally, I'm fascinated by the story. Trust is an underrated weapon in the business landscape. I'm a really, really strong believer in learning by doing. What's the definition of success? You're trying to come up with an answer to the question. But go ahead, Richard. You could be right, but you're wrong. <laughs> good morning, good evening, good night, Entrepreneurship and Leadership channel listener on the New Books Network. Today, we've got a very special guest, Anna Woodward Kennedy, and I'm recording this together with my co-host, Kimon Fontakidis. So, Anna, firstly, thank you very much for coming on to the show. And rather than me try to introduce you, obviously, I've read your, read your profile. Please, could you introduce yourself the way you would if you bumped into someone at a social engagement or a, or a party or even a business networking meeting? Of course. Thanks for having me. Um, so I live in Ireland, in Dublin. I'm a Brazilian person. Um, my father was a first generation uh, British from British parents. Uh, my mother was Brazilian from Portuguese with uh, local indigenous um, Indians. Uh, I've been living in Ireland for 23 years. And the reason I came here was for work, uh, for for work for one year, and here I am, 23 years <laughs> later. Mm-hmm. I did live also a little bit in the UK. Uh, I lived in France, um, but now I live in Dublin, where I have uh, I work in uh, Chitty Store. I'm married to an Irishman, and I have a little boy, uh, George. Fantastic, um, fantastic. And maybe you should explain what Chitty Store is, and perhaps there's a slight need for a sort of de- declaration of interest, particularly from Kimon, but also from myself, because we are somehow connected. And, you know, if we start raving about how wonderful the company is, people yeah. might be suspicious if they didn't know but the But the backstory. company is wonderful, Richard. It is yeah. wonderful. It is. And <laughs> how wonderful. In fact, anyway, could you just remember, a lot of our listeners aren't in the translation industry, so they might, yes. so they won't know that. Yes. So Chili Store is a company specialized in the quality assurance for translated uh, software, mostly translated content, web websites and software platform as a service. And Chili Store was acquired by Argus Multilingual, a market leader company based in Poland, about six months ago. Um, uh, we're not a translation agency, or I like to say we're the translation agency that translates nothing. We are specialized in the quality assurance of and testing of translated software, but we don't do the translation ourselves, which would be a conflict, obviously. Uh, there are not many other companies like ourselves, and, and when I co-founded the company, there wasn't any. There were divisions of other companies doing what we do. But there were there wasn't uh, one single company that specialized in what we do. Um, I have worked in the transition industry for over twenty five years. I started in, in publishing, but um, I very soon moved to the transition industry. I have worked in many different roles in the transition industry, which I think it was beneficial. It was a bit of crazy. There's a point, but I never had a straight line career. Uh, I always saw myself as providing a service rather than being employed by someone. So uh, end, ending up having a company wasn't a much, a, well, it was a big step. <laughs> I'm going to say it was easy. It wasn't easy, but it felt like a natural evolution of what I was Let's let's, let's start, Anna, from the beginning, though. First of all, I already learned something. So I, uh, full disclosure, I know Anna, obviously, 
we we consummated an acquisition <laughs> together, so we, we we know each other quite well. But uh, I would like to. So I already learned something that I didn't know about you. I didn't know that your father was from the UK. So you grew up in a sort of a uh, a multicultural uh, yeah. house uh, in Brazil. But give us the starting point. Like so. Well, I mean, like so. What did you tell us? How you? I mean. You started out in school, and then w- w- did you always? Were you traveling to the to Europe a lot because your dad was <clears throat> your dad was English, or um, you know what was the what finally got you? Like what made you decide first of all to actually leave uh, Brazil in the first place? And maybe what did you study at university? Did you go to university in uh, where'd you go to in university Brazil. in Brazil? Yeah. In Brazil, yeah, yeah. I can, I think we we can even go back further. Um, yeah. Because one of the, the things that I think I learned is that if you want to run a company, you, know, you need to know yourself uh, very profoundly and painfully sometimes. And uh, I think uh, your personal history will explain various choices in your life and how did, do you end up. It's, I, I find it very interesting. Like, What are the motivations for someone to be an entrepreneur? Because it's not an easy thing. To run a company is also not an easy thing. And I'll be very honest. I, I grew up on a, a bit of a dysfunctional family. So my parents were very self-involved and had narcissistic personalities. Both of them, they managed to meet each other. <laughs> yeah, which... which uh, 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 Not a lot of attention for the for Anna. And, and I, ha- no, I, have no, to, I have no. to say, I have to say, Anna, that we've interviewed a lot of people, but it's the first time. So my parents had, were dysfunctional and narcissistic, and you know, and, and yeah. I think, be, and I think you've already said being self-aware and knowing yourself is yeah. something that a lot of people. I, I know some people are older than Kimon and myself who are yet to discover what they're really like. Yeah, right. but, but it, it certainly helps in running a business for sure. It does. You know what? What I found out is that when you have parents that are very self-involved or very involved into their own relationships, which was the case, so more involved into maybe fighting each other or being the right one than, you know, looking after children, you, you, grew, up, you grew up being a bit hypervigilant. You know, you're alert to small changes in the environment. You're alert to small changes in other people's attentions and moods. Uh, you must not upset mother, must not infuriate father. So you can either let this drive you completely insane when you grow up, uh, or you can turn this into a profession, which I think that's what I, I did, <laughs> that's right? Quality is about being attentive. <laughs> yes, quality is being, being very attentive. So I created yes. a company with a mission that's provide good service to its clients and service being the key word here and fulfilling their needs and ensuring that the quality is there, it's already there or is added, or the value, the value that the value is added, that the service, the interaction with their customers, that everything is catered to, you know, excellency. Okay, but uh, if, the, we, if we jump back to the childhood a bit, you mentioned, like, what sort of, obviously, you've already hinted that it might have been quite tough, but what was your, did you have siblings who, like yeah, brothers and sisters, a, and, and, a, and at school, was school like a kind of release? Because yeah. at least at school, there was just some order. Um, I mean, how, how did it look like in yeah. terms of the different, because you live in different worlds, you've got your friends, the school, siblings, yeah. your parents. So, yeah, my father was married twice, and uh, my mother's uh, second wife, and he had four children on the first uh, marriage and then four children with my mother. I'm obviously the eldest. So I was also the one um, taking care of younger 
uh, smaller children. And at some point I was, at some point I was the adult in the house. So uh, for instance, I was taught how to drive. I was 12, 13. <laughs> so, so when I was 13, 14, I could drive to the pharmacy or to the supermarket, or I could drive smaller children to the to school. And one of the good things is my father never served in the army, but we do come from a military family. And I I kind of learned a lot of discipline. He was a very disciplined man. And I learned discipline and leadership from a very young age. I mean, I knew that children had to be up, you know, when they were five or six years old. And I was 10, 11, 12. And I had to get them up and they had to be up very early. So in Brazil, you, you go to school very early. You might start at 7 a.m. So you have to be up very early. You have to be ready. And, and exactly what you said, Richard, I did very well in school. Uh, one, because I like the discipline, but I also like to study. And also, you know, through books and, and learning new things, you, you do go to a different world than and sorry, I have a question. Sorry to interrupt. I do have a question about. I'm mm-hmm. trying to understand. Your father was English, but he was in the military. So he, which no, he military? wasn't. No, he wasn't because he was. No, he was born in Brazil. He was first generation. Oh, uh, he was an only okay. son, and uh, uh, all men must uh, enlist. But in Brazil, if you are an only son, you cannot be drafted. So right. he did enlist like everybody else, but he could. Okay, not so go. his father was English. Yes, his father oh, okay. and his mother, she was Scottish. Oh, okay. Yes, oh, okay. and then um, from his father family, they were all um, army men. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And so, but they, he, so he went into the Brazilian army is basically as a result. Yes, he enlisted, okay. but okay. You, you can't be um, part of the army if you're an only son. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I understand. They don't want to take, if you only have one, let's leave you the one. If you only have one. Yes, yes. And he was an only child as well, so he wouldn't be. Yeah. Okay. And and were you... um... You were doing well at school, and that was uh, reading a lot. Of, like, sort of school, so studying in school was a kind of escape from some kind of extra, too much responsibility at home, maybe. And you know, this was yeah. an area where you could just do be you rather than part of this thing that was sounds Pretty quite much. tough. But did you um, did you imagine? Did you have a vision that your future life might involve business and entrepreneurship, or did that was was there any role model, or, or were there some friends who had like parents who were in business? And you thought, hmm, that actually looks like a better world. I'm, was there where did that? Is there anything you can pick out from back then that gave you a thought? Hmm, maybe one day I would I could be doing something like that. No, and that's one of the you discussed in a uh, podcast. I think the podcast with Veronique, right? Her parents were in business, and that's one of the things that I find it very difficult if you're going into business, but you didn't have any parents or any anyone in the family in business. You really are, are braving the wilderness by yourself because you didn't get to learn much. Uh, I didn't really. However, I think what's in my personality is this sense of uh, leadership and independence. So even when I was employed uh, by other companies, um, I also had periods in my life that I was a freelancer or I was a contractor. Uh, I think the sense of freedom that being a contractor and being a freelancer to me was way more important and more appealing than uh, the safety of having employment. Uh, Mm -hmm. I always preferred that. 
uh, can we go with a contract, not with employment? What it's, about, um, did you, another thing is, another option is like, uh, in, rather than just having models of parents, because some of the guests, they didn't have parents, but they themselves, I don't know, they sold stuff. They did little entrepreneurial activities when they were young. For whatever reason, they Sometimes just these... had money just because they wanted the cash. Yeah, and... exactly. Exactly. Was yeah, there anything like that that you were, were, were you like trying to have a hustle? Or like, teaching. Was, was no, like, hustle or, yeah, yeah, maybe yeah, teaching think... English. Maybe teaching English. Exactly. You must have known pretty good English. Yeah. Uh, no, I did. Yeah. But what I think what happened was from a very early, I became a freelancer, a translator, and I was successful. So... I opened a company, my first company. Uh, I was 19, I think, or 20. Ah, there you go. Yes, yeah. So, and I thought, I have more work than I can take on, so I better expand. So then I did have people working for me. Still is a freelance freelancer setup, actually, if you have other freelancers working for you, but you didn't incorporate. But I did incorporate because it was easier to manage taxes and and do everything by the books and not so you're doing this when you were 19 yeah so my first company i was 19 no way and And i had it for uh, a while yeah and it so it was a translation basically a translation company it's translation of books yeah Mm -hmm. okay and from english into brazil into portuguese into portuguese yeah, yeah yeah And the way I moved to technology was I started to work with the four dummies. Remember that Windows for Dummies? Yeah. Oh, Windows for Microsoft Dummies. Microsoft works for dummies. <laughs> Who can remember? Wow, that? that was a huge. Yeah. Just that whole <laughs> catalog is no. enough work for us. <laughs> yeah. And what happened with that business? Um, what happened with that business? I kept it open for quite a long time. Uh, uh, and then I did get contracts uh, to work in publishing publishing houses. Uh, I did get a contract to work in the publishing house in Brazil that was actually got the license for these four dummies books. Uh, And uh, I um, was there as a translator or a reviewer, I can't really recall. And then in a few months, I was asked, could you manage the team? And there I was, I think I was 22. And I had about 15 people that I was managing. And that, that also happened uh, after that. I worked in um but Sorry, Google I'm Soft. confused. What happened to the company? The company was open because some of these jobs that I had, they were contracts mostly. So I, yeah. I, had, I was uh, dealing through the company. And sometimes I didn't use it, but I just, I kept it open. So I kept so, so it's like you had the option of a regular yeah, employment contract the, or a, 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 yeah. a, like a subcontractor contract. I just wanted to come back to when you set up your first company and doing the first translations, do you remember your very first client, like how it, how it felt because quite often you know people's first business or real business is is later and you know the, the and suppose you hadn't done anything before chili store on your own and the first client then can be quite a thing but you wouldn't have had that feeling with chili store if you had your first client when you were 19 because you'd have had it in a different context and do you remember who gave you the project and why and how you felt or did you did you have the client first and then you set up the company so it was i, I, did, I think i had the client it was a publishing house um so how did you get McGraw-Hill. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, sorry, McGraw-Hill is a huge international publishing company in, and you're in, a 19-year-old. In, in Brazil, in, yeah, yeah. In Brazil and suddenly they, they, yeah. Uh, yeah. they find you. How, how did that and they found me and, and they liked my translations. I, I think they liked that I was punctual as well. So yeah, exactly. Translating, translating books is painful. 
Uh, it takes quite a long time. And uh, I was punctual and uh, they kept, every time I went and I visit them very often to bring the books. It, we, at that point, we still printed things and we brought printed things because the, those would be annotated by the copy um, editors. So they would annotate. But that know, sounds like, I'm sorry to interrupt, but that sounds like after the project has started, like, and, but there was a point at which they didn't know you existed and you presumably didn't know they existed. There must have been a process by which you actually... Yeah, what Richard is asking, Anna, is the hustle. And I was going to ask the same yeah. question. How did you get clients, basically? Because you come across as like calm and sort of like, <laughs> and like, obviously there is calmness in business, but you know, at some stage you have to sort of get your foot in the door. <laughs> I just look, I try to remember, I think I do recall um, when I got the contract in the, in the, in the, pub, in the first publishing house, I had someone who was my boss and she liked me. Uh, and I think that when she moved to McGraw Hill, um, right. she contacted me and said, would you like to continue working with me? And and this is a story that has repeated in my life, especially I got a lot of mentorship and I, I learned a lot from women. And I, I did, like a lot of you asking, I did have a lot of women bosses, <laughs> which was lucky for me because uh, they did provide a lot of uh, guidance and a lot of mentorship and a lot of encouragement as well. So I once was in a panel, Richard, I think I know where you're getting at. I remember um, sharing with the panel, it was a women's network event, uh, that when you are a girl, you don't get encouraged by your parents. Go be an entrepreneur. You know, they would say, go be a teacher (laughs) or get married and have babies. So... Uh, especially at that generation, uh, nobody said, no, of course, you should totally go and be a freelancer or totally go and open your own company. You don't get any of uh, such encouragement. And because I did so well in school, the encouragement was uh, go and work in a lab or you know, be an academic. That, that was, at least my mother's dream for me was be an academic, go and study all your life. Um, so I think the, the encouragement and the push as you're saying, was really from uh, this this boss, this woman. And um, I think what helped was that I worked very hard. I always worked very hard. And I'm not saying that everybody should, because I think we need also to encourage people to rest nowadays. I think people are working too hard uh, to a point where uh, most people seem to feel that they're burned out. But I think I worked very hard in that helped so i made up for luck by working very hard some people are very lucky <laughs> some people are very hard and make uh luck happen for them i, and- I think i think that you're t- t- i think I, I do want to take out a little crystal of of business whatever a gem here which i which you which you sort of mentioned which is you got your first job and then you said it happened again and it was because of a referral and yeah. i think the lesson is, but look at you you're basically doing extremely good work you're very you said it's like it's so in my experience as well um getting the basics right <laughs> which you said i'm punctual i actually deliver the project when i'm going to deliver the pro- i do what i say i'm going to do and obviously yeah. you did good work um and i'm sure the women uh the female mentorship i'm, pr- I'm sure you were also i'm not sure if, actually i'm not sure whether you were unusual that you were a woman coming up but if you had a woman boss who wanted to help you i think that also that's that's great i mean i wish there should be that should be obviously more prevalent but I, I, I wouldn't underestimate the value. And it sounded like you were about to say that this happened again in my life later. And, and I know 
from working with you in Chili Store that referrals are a huge piece of your success is because, you know, yes. there's nothing stronger. You can have the best marketing and lead gen and sales team in the world, but nothing is as strong as, hey, yes. I've worked with Anna before and she delivers top quality. And she's and rock that solid, goes, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's worth, you that's worth so much. Right. <laughs> you are right. The... And that has played a part a lot. So a lot of my clients are referrals. Uh, not all, but a lot, yeah. There's one other thing. You mentioned that you were studying, reading, working hard. You just in passing said you're at a women's networking event. And I think this just this idea of going to different events, if you've got a kind of what I say, academic mindset of, in the sense of a learning mindset, maybe not academic, you're going to an event, you hear someone say something, you think that's interesting, it sticks in your mind because yeah. you're open to that input that's coming from different sources. Also, you mentioned your mother wanted you to be an academic or a teacher. Um, are your parents proud of you? Proud of you or are they... They're sitting there. So when is she finally going to be a professor? <laughs> what went wrong with our with our little girl? <laughs> I think my father before he he passed away. He told me he was proud of me. Um, I, I'm not sure about my mother. Uh, she went on and she herself had uh, three. Um, she has three different diplomas, three academic diplomas. So she's very academic. Um, I don't know, to be honest, if she thinks, I still still thinks that I should have gone into an academic, but you said something interesting that is so interesting. You said that that's true. I continue to learn. So I, I have mountains of books and I read mountains of books and I, I hear, I listen to hours and hours of podcasts. So I'm always looking to learn and, and learn things that I don't know anything about it. And learn and listen to people that I absolutely uh, disagree, mm. <laughs> <Just> dislike. Uh, <laughs> Interesting. Let, yes, I would never let, do that. <laughs> I, I will. I will because I want to be uh, learn to, how to be open, learn to how to be compassionate, yeah. learn how to uh, to understand the other side. So I do that. Okay. Too. Well, maybe that's a whole other topic that I don't think we should get into. The list of the things that you listen to that you disagree with, but I, but I don't think we yeah. need to go into. That. I, but what I might do actually, and is, and I don't think we'll ask you to do it now because it'd take too long. But if you sent a list of the uh, podcasts that you particularly recommend, we yes. could put that in the show notes. Just say here, or make a link to it, write a blog post. Say here's because yeah. I who was it? Elon Musk. I saw a tweet. I didn't actually click on it. The the, the fifteen books that Elon Musk says 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 he must read, and I like you have got I've got a Kindle, but I've got like so many unread books on my Kindle. If I bought them, it would exactly. just, it would just yes. lengthen the list. But um, but I, 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 did you play any? Have time for any sports or any kind of like uh, physical like or, or games or like chess or running or anything? Yes. Yeah, so I do like uh, sports a lot. I do like exercise a lot. Um, one of the things I learned is that uh, stress is actually something that happens to you physiologically in your body. And one of the things you should do is complete, uh, complete the stress cycle. So when you get stressed at work, which is could be many times a day, you will have a spike on adrenaline or any other hormones that will now sit in your body unless you get up and you could go for a long walk or you could go for a run or you could go for yoga, you could go for anything that's physical so that that stress cycle is completed, you know, which is the same as animals uh, do. You would see an animal in the wild if it's maybe hunted by a lion and it's, it escapes. Uh, animals will shake and they are shaking off all of that, those hormones that they released and 
And we usually we don't do that. So you're very stressed all day at work and then you sit down to watch TV. Mm, <laughs> so that's interesting. You don't, you don't mm. complete that cycle. So you do need to go outside and do whatever it is that mm. you need to do because think, you need to have think, stamina, right, to, to run a company. I think what to. Richard was going after, though, was competitiveness. Yes. Are you, uh, are you uh, very, <laughs> yes, right. Very. No, so like and yes, so anything yeah. in the history that would show like you need to win, yes, yes, like you play games and do you, do I you played in sports, sports. Like, I played in the volleyball team for my town. Yeah. I played in the basketball and volleyball teams for my school. I love, uh, team sports, not, um, running or or competing right. by myself uh, and that was very helpful and, and uh, because did, having did, a company is a team sport <laughs> did, and did you, when you were playing any kind of games with your with your little brothers or sisters did you did you ever let them win or was it more important that you won and with your you've got a kid now as well are you going to uh, yes. if you're playing no playing i will, with your, I will let them your, win you will, you will let them win. <laughs> will. You will let them win. Not with my brother. No, no, not with my brother. He is very similar in age. <laughs> yes, we're very similar in age, and we were very competitive, and we were fight, and he was into uh, kung fu, and and I would fight him anyway. I didn't do any martial arts, but I would fight him anyway. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> Real fighting. And for a while, I was bigger and stronger. And That's then, funny. Then That's demoralizing anymore. for the kung fu artist. <laughs> <laughs> I know he was small. <laughs> yeah, I was well, you insanely competitive, insanely competitive. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for pointing okay. that out, but. I, okay, I okay. Well, I, I mean, that's really, really. Th thank you for sort of like sharing that because it just sort of create. And I, th I think what's every, you know, every business, you know, has got customers, a process, a way of getting sales needs. It does something of value. But the background stories of the entrepreneurs, and I, I, we never had some. We had one other Brazilian, uh, um, uh, Renato from. Mm -hmm. um, I can't remember what's his company called. It's Nimsy. Nimsy, Nimsy, that's right. Yeah. Renato. And we had one other, you know, the second Brazil, Brazilian we've had. But, um, but uh, you know, people come from these different worlds and somehow, you know, your childhood sounds very different to the childhood of a lot of people we've had on, on the show. And so it's really interesting. And then as you were going through university and considering your first, like, proper job, obviously you've got your translation business on the side, you Sorry, but you, what did you study at university? Yeah, that's a good question. I did study uh, language and literature, so okay. um, I didn't finish. I am a dropout. I did do <laughs> because yes, I did do. Oh well, we have to reevaluate our business relationship. Oh, I didn't, oh. Yeah, exactly. I, I didn't, oh dear, I didn't know, we, you, you didn't fill the form out right. I didn't know. No, I didn't even know. on this podcast. So HR, However, HR <laughs> I did well. That's that. That matches my personality completely. I'm a, a quick starter. And quick starters are, are are very comfortable with risk and they tend to get very bored in university. So I did complete the first three years, which was the required curriculum. The fourth year was now you need to do some course to make up credits, like you could study uh, the origin of the name of Rhodes. And I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> I just don't want to do any of that. So I, I did, did the first three mandatory years, which I love very much. And the fourth year to you know just fill in with credits I thought this is very boring and that at that point I had the opportunity to I did the first time I traveled and you had asked before I came on so the first time I traveled I um I came to the UK how old are you now I was probably 20 something around yeah 20 
And I came to stay three months, just perfect my English. And I ended up staying, I think, nearly a whole year because I loved it so much. I do love the UK. I know it has its pros and cons like every other place, but I absolutely love the UK. I love the culture. And obviously I come from uh, yeah, British it's in your blood. Yeah, yeah. So it just, it felt, it felt easy. It felt right. Um, but I went back because I, I had this thought that, oh, I must finish this university course. I did go back for about a month and I thought this is, this is very boring. <laughs> and I had a job at that point as well. Uh, so I'm sure, sorry, sorry, this must have been yeah. a sticking point with your mom, though. Uh, not finishing love, university. No, if she didn't. was such a uh, she like was disappointed. Accolades, yeah, accolades yeah. focused. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She was disappointed. <clears throat> My father thought the university teaches you about life and culture. Uh, he was, by formation, he was a lawyer, but all his life he was a journalist. So he university for him was well that's what you do right that's basic you know yeah that's what everybody should do and that's what you do so you should do too but yes my mother was disappointed that I didn't finish but uh, at the same time I also was doing so much that it wasn't like I was sitting at home right. at that point I was working in PeopleSoft which was uh, be- became Oracle was acquired by Oracle we used and to work for PeopleSoft a long time ago, before do, the acquisition. They were, they were very nice, yeah. yeah. Doing some very uh, complex uh, um, software, logistics software. And um, that that was, I think, my entrance to the, the translation industry, to the translation world properly, because it, we were translating uh, PeopleSoft, Oracle software for, for Portuguese, for Brazilian Portuguese, without any dictionary without any official names or anything. So a lot of the names, and that's that's funny because I'm joining the dots now. A lot of my time, I would phone the universities and talk to professors to say, how do you think we should call this? <laughs> because, it, you know, these right, you're ERP, creating ERP language. software, we're creating language, we're creating mm-hmm. terms and terminology. And, and to this day, there's still some terminology in use that was created uh, at that point, by companies that were translating ERP software and logistics software. Um, and then after that, I had another transition uh, job in a smaller company that got. So you're just freelancing, employing? What, what's your status? No, at, this point? at that point, I, I think I, I can't really <clears throat> remember. I think I started as a contractor there. And I started, uh, I, I thought, you know what, I was, I had the company and I did this and I did that. And I thought, you know what, I remember thinking, I just want a job and I'm just going to sit and be a translator. And that lasted two weeks because the supervisor <laughs> quit. And she, uh, my boss, another woman came to me and said, do you know anyone who could supervise all these people? And I was sort of doing it. I said, yeah, I, me, I can do it. And she said, all right, hired. And I thought she would interview other people, <laughs> but she okay, didn't okay. give me the job. That's so interesting. Can I just ask a bit about your economic situation, your relationship with money? Because I, mean, I don't know what it sounded. I don't know whether it's a kind of middle class household you grew up where, or, or you were short of money. And you're obviously having your own business when you're quite young. It might have been you were making significantly more doing that than was normal for like a student job in a in a bar or whatever. Because Brazil, the image I've got is is quite an unequal society where there are a lot of quite poor people and there's a big middle class and then a few very rich people. And I don't know yeah. where you fat on that scale. And you know, sometimes when people come from a less advantaged background, you know, the, the motivation to make money is absolutely obvious because they just want to have a better life than they remember when they were a kid. And 
dropping out of university, it sounded like you were always busy, but were you looking for sort of stability or were you looking for more than stability? I mean, can you just, because you said then you put your hand up and said, I can, (laughs) you know, I can do that. So there was obviously some ambition and hunger for something more than just Mm -hmm. a regular job. Yeah, so no, I come from a middle-class background. There was just uh, enough (laughs) every month. Um, I think I see what you're see, saying. Um, it was important for me to make my own money, and but it was more motivated by being independent. I left. Um, I left my parents' house very early. I think I was 18, 17 or eighteen, and and I already had a job to support myself. And in Brazil, you don't stay all day long in a university. There's no all day long courses usually because people need to work. So either courses are in the evening and you worked all day or they in the morning and you work um, the rest of the day, which I did. I worked afternoons and I also was a teacher. I was an English teacher, came on like yourself. Uh, so I worked until very late and then had to be in university very early. I left my, my father's house with nothing. And, and then everything that I, I built was uh, my own work. Uh, it was this um, need to be independent. It was this need to be out of there and be independent and not depend on uh, anyone uh, for myself. It was the same as when I arrived in Ireland. Um, I didn't have anything. <laughs> Uh, well, no, obviously, and then you went to the UK. I mean, you went, to, I guess you saved up, you bought a ticket. Yeah, to the no, UK. The you went to the UK. The last thing my my father gave me was a ticket to the UK. The the He gave me a return ticket, obviously. <laughs> That'd be very cool. Here's, hey, a, one-way here's, a, one-way, here's a one-way ticket. <laughs> my dear daughter, yeah. Anna, <laughs> here is your one-way ticket to Australia. <laughs> yeah, to Australia, to as far as possible. No, he did give me a return ticket, but I lost the return because I wanted to stay longer. Right. So the return tickets, then I had to, I, I bought it myself. Uh, but he did give me the, the ticket and he did pay for my accommodation for the first three months. And then after that, uh, I decided to stay and I phoned them. There was still no mobile phone. So I phoned them uh, from a pay phone and I said, I'm going to stay. <laughs> and he said, are you sure? And I said, I'm sure, not being very sure, but I stayed anyway, and, and uh, I had to provide for myself and then save and then buy the return tickets. It is, uh, there is this need for stability, of course, but there is also this need for not depending on uh, on them or on anyone. So I think that was, that was the real motivation. And then there's also this personality of hardworking since forever and then right. continue to be hardworking which everything has a good side and a bad side. There's obviously the bad side of it, you know, working. Well, it sounds like you're extremely productive. And so, I mean, I don't think money was actually like an issue for you because you were always working. I mean, it sounds like you were working a lot. It wasn't. It's a bit of a privileged position to be able to say this. And I know, but it wasn't one because I worked very hard and I made money. Uh, Others, because if you're not afraid of risk, you can um, be a freelancer and be a contractor and, and make more money than if you are in employment, which is a safer yeah. uh, thing, uh, less anxiety prone. But if you're not afraid of risks, and I do remember, um, however, being um, listening to someone else give someone an advice that there was a freelancer 
uh, woman uh, friend and very anxious about being a freelancer and a coach saying, uh, it was a session that I was in it saying, if you're going to be a freelancer, you need to have a little bit of faith, faith in your hardworking, faith in the universe, faith that uh, it will provide. Otherwise, you would drive yourself insane if your choice is to be a freelancer. You have to have some form of faith. And I also would add to that some form of hard work. And yeah, I would say, and I would add a different word. I'd say hustle because being a freelancer is yeah, until yeah. you get established is having a client base. And then you want to pick and choose and cherry pick the best clients that can give you the best work and the most stability. But you need to be out there. That's the worst part of being a freelancer is that you need to, like, it sounds like in your case, I don't, I get the sense that you're just basically so solid and good and likable that the, you know, you're getting these referrals. I'm not sure, was there any hustle? Like I needed the hustle. I didn't have the work. I needed to go and knock on doors and find somebody to give me some work because it, yes. it feels like you're just very much like, <laughs> I, like, like you're just a rock solid person that again, they're going to just give you more and more everywhere you go. No, but maybe I, it's not like that. I don't know. No, it's a lot of hustle. Come on. I see, I know people like my sister, my husband, uh, they are lucky in life. Uh, things come or they attract or they deserve as well. They're, they're very good at what they do. Um, I didn't feel I was uh, a very lucky person. Uh, so I did knock on many doors. When I decided to stay in England, it was really hard. I didn't really have a job that would pay for accommodation and for food and for the school. Um, so I had to knock on many, many doors and it was the same with the freelancer uh, thing. I mean, okay. I, I had to knock. I couldn't. The other thing was you shouldn't have all your eggs in that one sure. basket. So I didn't stay only with McGraw Hill. I did go and look for work in other uh, publishing houses and other uh, companies so that I could always um, have more options. So you create options for yourself, right? So and, I and I'm just going to dive, dive in here because this is so important that, you know, basically Keeman's premise that you were so good at whatever you were doing that people sort of stuck with you. That was part of it. But also you were handling the process of making yourself wide open for rejection because if you knock on, you make send 30 letters and 27 people don't reply or you make 30 phone calls and 27 people put the phone down on you. That's just like dealing with rejection. And what you said is, I mean, I suspect I wonder if it's modesty or just the mindset that you said. No, it was, it was, it was very hard, very hard. Like yeah. the uh, rejections were very hard, but at that period was uh, instrumental. I think it was, it, it was really good uh, to learn that, well, you, you are not the bee's knees and you will get rejected. And if you rejected, you have to get up and you have to try again, because after all you have to eat and you have to pay. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. And also as a leader, when you're trying to encourage some of the people in your team, that they can, they can do tough stuff. If you've done it yourself, you're totally credible. Right? You know, you, you, got, you can't tell someone, I can't pick up the phone. You say, well, I used to, <laughs> or whatever yeah. it is. But, no, so, exactly. Yeah. So, so um, did you, you mentioned that you were just about to take us through your career path that you're after two weeks, your boss quit. And so you were put in charge of a team. Did you feel that you were sort of, just naturally good at running a team or was that something you'd done before because you were managing the freelancers because managing people is a different skill set than being good at something I mean yes. it's a thing to be good at but there are people who are not very good at doing stuff who are good at getting other people to do stuff and um how do you I, see yourself in that context that's very important to me managing people because 
if you ask me what's the most important thing in a business, it's people. It's, it's nothing else. It's people. Uh, should I be an entrepreneur? Do you love people? Because if you hate humans, you should totally not be an entrepreneur. <laughs> and there are so you many people. Run a company. <laughs> there are so many people who are listening to that should consider whether the entrepreneurial route is for them. Exactly. You have to love people. If you don't love people, you have to find someone who does and, and does it well. And I remember that first job in the few months in. Uh, my boss calls me and says, uh, you have to fire that person. And this was this huge, very gentle, but very big man. And everybody loves him. And oh my she God, said, horrible. he's underperforming. And you're going to fire him. And I was like, what? Wait, what? <laughs> I never fired anyone. How do you fire someone? And so I pulled him into a room, right? He's older than me. He's much bigger than me. And everybody loves him because he was a lovely man. And I, I don't know what happened, but I decided to ask him what's happening. Right. Because, you know, you're underperforming and people are not happy and you made some mistakes. And we, we ended up having a whole conversation about how his father was sick and he was thinking of getting married and things were hard and etc. So we had a whole conversation of what, what was affecting him and, and everything that was going wrong. I decided there and then uh, let's have a two weeks trial and let's see how this goes and uh and then it just improved immensely i'm not going to say it will always improve because one of the parts of dealing with people is at some point you'll have to fire people and i have yeah fired people this is a very interesting point and i i i think i i think firing people is a failure on both sides usually because people and and and, and it's because of not expressing expectations and not communicating correctly. That's what I found. I, I've had lots of regret in firing people uh, because of that. And, and, you know, at some point you can't, you're not in a position where you can offer them that, let's say, second chance. But like, as you just pointed out, I think he was not being, I don't think he was being correctly managed. I think somebody should have been uh, giving him the feedback before that not all of a sudden you're, because that's really the mistake we often make is we just fire them. Right. Without right. giving yeah. them without the exactly. feedback loop, like it's much better. It's OK to fire people, but really it's not OK, in my opinion, just like an ethically, if you haven't given them the feedback along the way that, look, you're not performing. But look, this is your last that, chance. Look, yeah. you know, I mean, because some people are going through shit. You don't know what's going on. And then like it's just it's like another shot. Right. It's like it's a, it's a snowball for them. They're, 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 other things are going wrong. And then that results in them being fired which is obviously the worst possible thing that could happen. So you can, that's great that you avoided but it. I, so I guess the story goes that, so. that you saved him. Basically you saved yes, the nice yes, gentle bear. Yes, because it was, it was possible. But I think that what you're saying is very important because um, not only feedback, but you have to set the goals and the expectations from the start. And that's really important. And, and this relationship with this person that you're hiring starts on your first interview. So I usually, my interviews are, I ask uh, people, what do you want from your life? What do you want from your work? And if the answer is, well, I don't know, then that's not good enough for me. You know, you need to have some right. form of mission. And, and I, I tell my team, and I don't think they're sick of hearing it, but I think everyone should work to a mission, not for a company, not for a person, uh, which we usually do, but for a mission for yourself. What is the mission? What are you providing? Because work is to serve, and you are serving so a need. It's so, also so, so it's, it, I think that's so right, but it's also striking that when you were put in charge of this team, 
the company you're working for, it sounds like you hadn't had management training because it's, it's like, no, and, and I, I'm in exactly the same shoes. You know, I, 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 not only did I have no training in management, but also I had no training in organization or budgeting or anything that you need to run a business. And I nearly had a breakdown around mid 1990s where I was just getting more and more overloaded. And I just didn't have the tools to and experience to do what I was doing. So I was really learning by doing, but you know, if, it's quite odd you're put in front of in charge of a team and weren't told that you should be having like one-on-ones and That's feedback and so common, Richard. Like my frustration is how I, I can't say for other industries. I do have some visibility in other industries, but in the transition industry, we never most of the work is done by the project managers and we don't cherish them enough. We don't train them enough. We we promote people without asking them even, do you like humans? <laughs> Nobody asked. <laughs> if they said no, don't promote them to manage people. And a lot of the time, people spend a very long time in their careers. I'm, and I'm talking about 20 years, 25 years in which they don't manage people. And then suddenly, because they've been here long enough, we're just going to promote you. And now you're managing 10 people. And they were never told how to manage people they were never shown and Mm. there was never a coaching or a course or anything like that so if you want to manage people you have to manage yourself first if you want to be an entrepreneur you know to very radically know yourself uh, because you will bring a dynamic to a company that's based on your family dynamics that's very common so if you had certain family family dynamic at home, you would bring that, you would look for that. If you have a co-founder, at some point you would be projecting things into each other. You would be um, not getting along, especially if at the beginning you complemented each other. So you have the very creative person and you have the very diligent person. And you complement each other because that's what you should have in a company. You need to have the creative, the strategic, the thinking, but you also need to have the people who are paying the taxes and paying the electricity bill and uh, and managing everything around. And then at some point, you might um, start not to get along because you, after all, you're the opposite. And mm. you are opposite with your sibling at home or you had a conflict with your parents and, and you're looking for that again. So you ne- you need to radically know yourself so you don't bring that kind of stuff into there's, your company or with other people that you're managing right? there's, so, there's so much of, of, of value here for people who are contemplate either you're in business and not experienced or, or contemplating it and i want to focus on just firing people that keeman talked about how it's a failure on both sides and you were talking about being a people person do you think that a manager can be like a uh, Mr. or Ms. Nice Guy, because like it's not a nice thing to fire people. And I remember how stressed I, I was the first time I had to fire someone. I literally didn't sleep the night before. I had no experience. And it, I was maybe similar sort of age, 24, 25. And the guy had done really bad things. And it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't marginal. He was stealing stuff and he was meant to be doing direct mailings and he couldn't be bothered to do the address label. So he's chucking them in the bin. You know, that's not, <laughs> that's not good behavior. But do you, do you think you have to, can you be a nice manager or do you sometimes have to be really tough? You have to be both. So um, I like very much the servant leadership uh, methodology, which is you are a, a, you are at service to the people who work at the company. You are at the service to the company itself, to your customers. So you have to be a coach. You have to be a mentor. You have to be a friend. However, from experience, I know you have to be a leader. You need to be there to make 
the difficult decisions. It's not anybody else. It's you. And, uh, and when the proverb or whatever hits the fan, you need to take the beating. Be there. Take the beating. Uh, be the leader. Take a responsibility for a lot of whatever you said, Kimon, I liked very much. If you're firing someone, where was your responsibility in that? And and uh, I always I read, think about that. Exactly. I, mean, I, always, you do, you I do always think about the failure of the organization. It's uh, the organization. It's always about the failure of the person, but it's so clearly the failure of the organization. And even as you said, it's even in the hiring process. Right. I mean, it was it, is like, in the it, it starts process. in the hiring. Maybe you made a mistake. Like, like it's, there's a failure. It, the, the system broke down, basically, if you have to fire somebody. But unfortunately, the, the, the onus or whatever, the focus is always on, oh, bad employee, bad employee. And that's just not that's just not the case. No. Um, and there was a point in which maybe a good employee or perfect for that position in which things started to go wrong. I mean, you can maybe hire someone and, and, and they're it's brilliant for them. It's great for you. And, and at some point, something changes. And why did you not address that at the moment that that changed? It's very likely that you did realize that's unusual. That's an unusual attitude. That's an unusual delay. That's an unusual problem. And if you address, and it could be just one line, what's, what's going on? Everything okay? Uh, you yeah. need to create mechanisms yeah. in the company. One of the things that I think is very, that we implemented points and it's helpful it's get someone else from a different group to mentor or just talk to that other person yeah not from I, I inside think, the group not i think manager, this is a really i think this not is a her good colleague. yeah yeah you're because i'm listening to all this and um you know we get to chili store the company that you founded that actually was the, i guess your most successful whatever business so far and um so obviously I, I know this company in depth. We ended up buying the company and that comes through the way you've met, like your management of people is clearly exception. In fact, uh, our obviously, uh, I don't want to say obviously, but Argos is a much bigger company than Chili Store. And I think we have a lot that we can learn from Chili Store actually in terms of the way you manage people and stuff like that. So maybe this is a good segue if we can sort of fast forward or at least get us to where, because I really want to talk a little bit about your, because that's your big, Right? Isn't that your big entrepreneurial journey? Is in this? Is in Chili Store? Like, mm -hmm. did, can you let's let's get to how did you set this up? Where did you? How did you get to Ireland? How did you set it up? And where did um, you get the idea? Where did you get the idea yeah. from? So give 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 us the now in the in this business <laughs> business entrepreneurship. Tell us about the business. <laughs> <laughs> we finally got there. We finally got. There. Yeah, yeah. So I I was in the um, last 15, 20 years of my career. Then I fluctuated or I was moved towards the, the quality aspect of translation very much and everything that goes into it, like uh, the, the glossary, the terminology, the guidelines, the creative brief, whatever it is. And I started to specialize in that. And I obviously worked very hard at it. Um, my hypervigilance worked very well at, at checking quality, but I also grew very frustrated because uh, the way, I don't know about other industries, um, but the way translation industry uh, works with quality is a pretty much a checkpoint, a pass and fail at some point in the very last minute before you publish a software or you publish a, a campaign or a web page. 
uh, a checkpoint. Let's see if the quality is good at this point. And it's a pass or it's a fail. Uh, then you have to fix everything. And that's the end of it. Nobody really knows or goes upstream or downstream and say, let's follow up and, and um, do this in a better, more holistic way, because this checkpoint is actually just one step in a very long process. That is the process of quality. And uh, uh, one of my clients said, you do this so well and you're so interested in quality. Um, do you not want to take all of, why don't you take all of the work we have uh, in the company here for other languages and everything else? And, and it was a bit of a shock. Sorry, now you're here as a freelancer. You're a freelancer now. No, I was a contractor in a company and I was okay. managing oh, your okay. things related to quality and, and quality. I created a, um, a terminology. And can you share portal. which company this is? That was Symantec. It's okay. a company that is a tiny, tiny little company. Exists. Tiny yeah, it was massive. Company. Yes, it was very big. <laughs> yes. Symantec, Symantec does antivirus software, is that right? Or... Yes, yeah, yes, yeah. Um, and uh, uh, and I was uh, asked, why why are you not uh, incorporated? I mean, why you do this so well? Why don't you do this? Uh, also, as a woman, uh, that encouraged me. Uh, and you know what? It's very scary for you to say, should I open a company and then service such a big client like this one? It wasn't uh, like just a book or a Mickey Mouse client. This was a massive client. And I remember thinking about it very carefully. And then I came to Guy Kawasaki's Art of the Start, the, the book Art of the Start. And what, what he said was, uh, here are the reasons you should open a company. You know, none of them are, I'm going to be very rich. You know, I want to be very rich. There are other ways, go and learn about cryptocurrency if you want to be very rich. Mm -hmm. Don't open a company because it's a, it's a very uh, painful endeavor. And one of the things he said is, if open a company to right a wrong. And that got stuck to me. It actually it was very shocking. And I said, he's right. He's totally right. And what I felt was compelled. I'm, I'm very interesting always on the reasons why someone wants to be an entrepreneur and open a company. For me, it was a vision. It was I was compelled to it. It was like a quest. I must go and I must do this. And we must do this I must right. write this wrong. I love I that. must write this wrong. I think that needs to be. I hope you have it. I, is it somewhere in the Chile to write a wrong? That should be the uh, the to write a wrong. That should I be love, the, I uh, love, I love, I, the, I, I the tagline of, of, of Chili Store, to write a wrong. I think we need to talk I, to the marketing I, department. No, that's, but, that's not nice. But <laughs> Anna, I, I have to say that th this, is a, this is a fantastic story, but also uh, just to challenge you, um, you already had a client and like I'm literally in the last four days, I've got several people with like their amazing and to me, extremely risky business ideas and they're looking for funding and they don't have any clients. <laughs> and, you know, yeah. to, to, to kick off with a company like Symantec saying, please do this for us. And obviously yeah. it's still risky, but it's yeah. not, I mean, you're a rash, you're obviously quite a thoughtful, rational person. It's not like, it's not like I pray and <laughs> play and pray. You've got a, or whatever it is, spray and pray. You've, you've got a, you've got a client there waiting for you yes but yes and no because see what happened was then weekly i my husband helped me co-found the company uh he was a mentor he was a, a kiron he I, I have a lot to thank him because he taught me a lot he, he didn't work in the the business uh, he has his very own successful career uh but he mentored uh, us a lot and my friend marta as well marta boyer 
uh, believed in this plan. And it was a bit risky because both um, um, we, I left my career before. So I didn't know if that was going to work. And then what was uh, difficult was we were going to create a business model a bit from the start, the transition industry paid per word at that point, I decided that we're going to be charging just per hour. So we never even set up a rate per word to with any clients, always per hour, because if you're going to go to a piece of content and say, I'm going to inject the quality here that's missing, it might take me 10 minutes, it might take me an hour, it might take me two hours. And the more we improve this process, the less you're going to pay. So it was also beneficial for the client. So it would take less if you let us improve this, this holistically. So there weren't really roadmaps or frameworks. And, and because we wanted to right or wrong and do it differently, there you go, we had to do things differently. Mm. At that point, for instance, one of the frustrations was uh, there was this checkpoint, there's a pass, there's a fail. There was never a feedback given back to anyone upstream, even the translator, that person didn't get a proper uh, discussion or a feedback or a voice. A there was no feedback loop. Notoriously, yeah, yeah. hidden. Uh, so I, the very important for me for the company was what kind of culture are we? And at the time, uh, my husband was a Scrum Master. I eventually became a Scrum Master as well. We were very involved with Agile methodologies. And we created a company based on collaboration, transparency, and flexibility, or the Agile Manifesto. And it had to be radical transparency, radical collaboration, and radical flex flexibility in which you say, uh, and to this day, clients come and say, I have this crazy idea. Uh, <laughs> we'd say, say more. <laughs> we will do it for you. And uh, collaboration in which we only work directly with freelancers, and those freelancers are in every email. There's no blind copy in our company. Uh, it's uh, an unspoken rule, but there's no blind copy. Uh, clients know who their translators who work with us are. And we had a very, very long road convincing the translation vendors that were doing the translation for those clients that we need to know who these translators are. And we had some obviously very comical and ridiculous meetings with uh, people who were put in a meeting uh, let's talk to the Czech translator and the person who shows up at the meeting is Bulgarian. <laughs> oh, I'm not a Czech person, I'm Bulgarian. Uh, and we also had these uh, situations in which we're going to talk to the Turkish translator. Uh, so that translation vendor connects us to one person who connects to another company who connects to another company. And after five tries, we get to the translator herself and, and we only get to know her first name. So that's not transparency, mm -hmm. right? That's that's mm -hmm. a shame. So we had a very long road to fight against the way things were being done. And one of the things that I think if I could give an advice to a, an entrepreneur just starting is don't go with the ways, this is the way we always done things, you know, forbid this thing of, oh, this is how yeah. we always done it. This is the software we always worked. This is... The system we always uh, followed. So don't don't just break all of that and and don't go with that at all. And we had to we had to fight very hard uh, for the transparency. We had to fight very hard to find a framework for that because uh, things only work really in a framework. And maybe that's my discipline uh, mind. Uh, we need to have a framework for these this communication to happen. Also, the tools weren't really there. Uh, what really improved our lives were Slack. Uh, I, Let me I, 
I've worked at Microsoft and I love Microsoft, but Skype is not a chat tool. <laughs> it was very frustrating. And Slack really changed our lives. We are in contact with everybody now all the time, which is mm. essential for the transparency and the collaboration. I, I love the fact you quoted uh, Guy Kawasaki and I, he's got a famous bit of his Art of the Start talk where he talks about the 30-20-10 rule about how PowerPoint presentations should always be in 30-point bold because you can't write sentences, so you can only write bullet points, which means that you have to you have to know your material. You and, know, you have to think that uh, right. He also says that people you're pitching to will be old men with glasses like me, so they won't be able to read smaller fonts. But yeah. he also said if you, if you read your slides, then the audience are going to think you're an idiot because they can read faster than you speak. <laughs> and exactly. they're going to read ahead. And, and we'll certainly share a link to that. And I, I just, if, obviously you kicked off with Symantec, but maybe can you talk about your your second client? Like, because you, you're obviously, you know, you're taking a risk and it, it is absolutely Sorry, compelling. sorry, Richard, can I ask, it, what year is it? I just want to, I've, I've lost track. What year is it? Where that, are that we? Was, when did... That was 10 years ago. That's 2011. 2011. 2011 yeah. Because you were... Um, <laughs> I mean, I just want to give you just because you, you you went down pretty technical, a little bit technical for the people that don't know the translation industry. Uh, I just wanted to summarize one thing. What Anna was doing, which just it blows me away, actually, is you're actually disrupting. You're yes. actually disrupting. The, it had to be disrupted. She was doing. Yes, of course. Yeah. It, uh, it still has to be disrupted, though. She's 10 years ago. What I'm saying is I'm listening to this conversation. It's hard. Again, for those of you. In the translation industry, you'll know what I'm talking about. For those of you not in, just take my word for it. But like, we still haven't disrupted this uh, today. And no, and she's no. right. And what Anna started doing ten years ago is the right route. And 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 she, you know, and we're we're still even not there today. But it's just very impressive. I mean, that you manage some little tiny little company, and that you actually are. It is a big deal. I, I just want to. It is a bigger deal than it sounds like. Uh, in this right. podcast, it's what, it's what what she did. It's a much bigger deal than what it sounds like. Oh yeah, I tried to make them go by the hour. Oh yeah, I tried to make them be transparent. That stuff just even today they don't do it today. No, they don't, they don't do it. It, so, it still is. Uh, it's um, massive. It's a huge. It's difficult. very impressive. I just want to say it's a very impressive thing mm. because also it's not like Anna's coming. Anna's a tiny, tiny, tiny company, and she's talking to big. But the beauty of what you're doing is you have the pocketbook behind you because you have the big company who pays these other people in the in the life cycle there their money so if you can convince the pocketbook semantic or the big client we're going to do it this way now then you can maybe get some of these uh, disruption yeah, I mean, through it, that you want to do and possibly you've never heard this analogy but do, do you see how what you're doing is similar to machine vision in manufacturing because you might not have heard that analogy, but when I had a business I used to run and still have a major shareholder, a company that sold machine vision technology into production environments. And historically, quality control would be right at the end of the process. Did everything work? And the classic example might be an old Nokia mobile phone and if the green was the green bit had come off the green on button then the whole phone would fail yeah. and it would just be scrapped and if you could put cameras at looking at everything all the way along that could sort of look at you know, 50 buttons a second I mean, this is ultra high speed machines if anything went wrong at any stage they would flick it off the line so you would no longer add value 
after the thing had gone wrong. And this idea of having checkpoints at every stage to say, is it good? And then it, obviously the feedback, if it had gone wrong, why why has it gone wrong? It's just this idea of product quality control as a productivity enhancement, as opposed to quality control, just can we ship? Is hugely valuable because after, if your process works, every single time later will be higher quality. So you're you're actually cutting. It seems expensive, but you're cutting costs in the long run. Uh, you totally are, and you can get to a point where you trust your whole ecosystem. The thing with the the difference between the manufacturing is that because there's so many uh, human interactions, uh, the quality. Um, system in a in a transition ecosystem it's actually a uh, to be technical a complex adaptive system which is a network of interactions between different parts and even ensuring the quality of one part say one person here doesn't ensure that the whole system is going to produce quality at the end so it's a very delicate complicated balance and you need to be um, very diligent with every step of the way. We're still a very long way to go, Kimon knows. Um, uh, you're still kind of working silos. So for instance, the software developers producing the software have no concern about this is going to be translated in 40 languages. It's not their problem, but it should be their problem because they are part of this whole system that- it Then it comes back to them. It actually ends up coming back to them and then they have to rewrite and internationalize and all this other Ex stuff. And exactly, it's, it's it's very hard quality work. Quality at source. I mean, it's quality at source, basically. It's holistic. You, the quote, yeah. you need to involve, uh, you need to involve as many people as are part of this system. You need to also encourage this, um, the continuous learning, the retrospectives, the inspect and adapt, which is which is part of the agile methodology. So you, you inspect, you, is it good? No, did it work? No. So that's we're not going to do this again. One of the things we do a lot in the transition industry is, is it working? No, sure. Okay. <laughs> we'll look at this again in 10 years, <laughs> you know, because I don't really want to go through this. So you have to completely uh, stop. And that's no, we're going to try something else because this is not. Really so Anna, working. Anna, take us, take us through. This is your first client. Take us through the journey. How did you build this company up? And, and then ultimately, what made you decide to sell it? Yeah, it, yes, great, great questions. It was, it was <laughs> slow, Kimon. So if I look back, I think it was slow. The company was always profitable, uh, but not very profitable. In the first year, I paid everybody's salaries, but I didn't pay my own. And my husband wasn't very happy with that. Uh, we, he also... He was part of the company with his consultancy service. So there were months in, in which his consultancy service was what allowed us to pay our salaries and pay everybody. So it is tough anyway. It's always going to be tough. Um, I think the I think it was slow because we, we are 10 years in. Uh, I think we've been uh, very successful and very profitable in terms of, of, of profitability in the past probably three, four years so it did take us quite a long time to get this business model right, to get the framework right, to, to say, this is not working, let's do it differently. This doesn't work without this. And what should we do here? But how did you and, get all the and, clients? Yes, but the, the funny thing about my other clients is that <laughs> we are usually called in or uh, when things have gone wrong and people don't know why things have gone wrong. So a lot of my journey with my clients is explaining to them what we do, uh, what looks like you need, what we could be doing, what results we should get. So 
buying translation is a little bit easier. You could go to a translation agency and says, I need this translated in, in whatever European languages. Translation is translation. But when they need our services, it's usually there's a lot of noise. A lot of clients call it noise. So local markets are saying, uh, I can't sell this product. It's horrendous. Or there's a lot of complaints from customers. Uh, or there's a lot of internal complaints from people who speak the language. Or, or just there's a lot of people quitting because I, I can't work in here anymore. This is ridiculous. So we are usually called in to uh, solve problems, but which, Anna, which Anna. I love it, which is lovely. Yeah, Anna, but... but how we got clients, one the, right? Yeah, well, because yeah. we, one of them, you know, there's many things attractive about your company when we were looking to buy it. But one of the things is you had this very impressive client list, very small company yeah, with yeah. a very impressive client list. So how did you get all these clients? I would say one, 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 one tip for anyone starting, show <laughs> up. That's it. Show up, right? Yes, show up. Go to... Uh, conferences, go to industry events, talk to people, uh, show up. Uh, and um, sometimes you don't know what to do. What am I going to do with my life? And uh, showing up is the best advice I have for anyone. Uh, uh, that little thing over there interests me. I wonder if I could, you know, get a business out of this event here or this con contacting this person here. So showing up was a big one. Uh, also, our existing clients referring us. Um, some clients had worked with me, not with my company, but with me, and then hire uh, me, and then ends up, you know, loving the company because we have an amazing team of people. So, uh, one of the things that I think are a mark of success for me is that this is a good company with good people doing good by their clients, and the word spread really more than any um sales anything sales activities because we didn't have sales activities uh, i closed every sale of course <laughs> so you you were the sales activity I'm absolutely yes yeah, so i closed oh i knew sales. that the day i met her i wanted I ever had. <laughs> yes and, and, there's, and there's a lesson here because and for anyone listening you know anna doesn't come across as a sort of stereotypical salesperson and usually i'm the not best a salesperson <laughs> right and i said she doesn't come across all these statements are true uh, but, but just different ways of looking at the same thing the point i'm trying to make is that the people who are really good at sales aren't stereotypical salespeople. they listen and they think <laughs> and they gain the confidence yes. of their clients because they know their shit and clearly these three things were true and all Although you said you're not, you're you're being out there, you're showing up. So you're doing, in fact, a, a version of the hustle, which is being in the right room where you can get lucky because you you talk to three or four people who might have the problem you can solve. Yeah. So and then another little nugget of advice: if you are if you have your own company, it's very lonely usually if you're running mm. a company because you have to make a lot of decisions. And like you said, Richard, you didn't sleep overnight when you had to fire someone. When you're firing someone, you don't have a team of people firing someone. It's usually you are firing someone or you are making the decisions or you are worrying about invoices that weren't paid or problems that were reported. So I'd say go after a network of business people, women in business or, or entrepreneurs anonymous, they have they're in Dublin. They meet entrepreneurs the anonymous. Yes, and they meet face to face in the pub, which is lovely. So uh create this connection uh with people, um network if you want to call it. But I'd say a network is nothing if you don't create the connections. So the real connections with, with people are important. I also think it was our um honesty 
that got us uh, referrals from other clients. So we would go and say to a client, I see you want to spend a lot of money on this, but we're no, don't. What? <laughs> yeah, no, that's not that's not necessary. That's not the way to do it. Let's fix the problem upstream so you don't have to spend rivers of money down here. Or uh, we had a client that had about four steps and a month to create uh, any update to a, a glossary, right? Uh, and we said, no, let's cut out all of these steps. What? Are you crazy? Yeah. Well, you're going to make less money by cutting out all of the four steps. I said, yes, but it's going to be more efficient. You know, you're going to pay less. And this money that you're not going to spend here, how about we spend it over here in this thing that is necessary? So we we were very um, honest. And I think we offered a lot of consultancy simply because we absolutely I love what I do, and I think my team also loves uh, what they do, and they don't want to do things just for let's make money or uh, let's. That's the way we always did that. Mm-hmm. You know, you're making always... things better. You're 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 writing a wrong. Yeah, and, and you're right, uh, and, and and you're a really high value added consultant because a lot of consulting yeah. is yada yada, same old, same old stuff. But this is actually telling people stuff they didn't know that can help yeah. improve help improve their their their, their core business and this. Yeah, and we never lost a single client. Uh, we actually fired a client once. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a very important thing. Um, uh, we thought we were in good fit. We thought that, look, this is driving you crazy. This is driving us crazy. I don't think that's what you need. And funnily enough, that localization department for that client was dissolved about a year after we said, I don't think this is working. And I don't mm. think we are working so for you. If anyone listening to this is ever fired by Chili Store, that's a bad sign. I'm not sure how you did it. Uh, and the funny thing is I'm 90% sure we fired the same client. Uh, and uh, we just raised the prices I mean, or, or didn't decrease the prices. I can't remember. Yeah. It was from something. You don't actually fire a client ever. You just say, ah, you know what? We need to add 10% because of this. And that usually takes no, care I of it. No, I think we did fire that client. You yeah. need to be you tough, Kimon. Kimon, Kimon, you need to learn to be tough, Kimon. No, because it's always, because we, okay. In our case, generally, we're only firing a client because they're just un- unprofitable. Basically, I mean, why do you fire a client ever? I mean, oh, because there are reasons. There are reasons. I mean, ethical. But, okay, yeah. I haven't come across those ethical reasons yet. So then you maybe do. Well, you you told me about a client from America, Kim. This was fifteen years ago, where you you said that all incoming emails were going to go to the spam filter. <laughs> I could I could name them, but it would be unprofessional. It's a major financial institution. You, you sent all their incoming emails to spam, and you got so annoyed with them. <laughs> yeah. oh, I can't but, remember. And anyway, I, I, this is about Anna. And by the way, we got to be conscious of time here. Yes, let's exactly. Try to, let's try to get because no, because I think right. we have a so lot we of get some to more the, interesting stuff. To the point let's talk where about, you, yeah, you asked yeah, why, why you why you would exit, but then after that, I think we need to talk about lessons learned. I think you exactly. Have a lot of stuff Let, you let's go into rapid fire. Kimon and I need to zip it. Zip it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't think it's yeah, us. So <laughs> why did why why why? Because uh, you have to be again know yourself, be very self conscious. The company grew, it was profitable, the model works, it's doing good work. I needed to get out of my own way because I was the one in the way. Um, I needed to have a sales department, I needed to have more executives, I needed to have a C-suite. And, and then I wanted also, I like I said, it was very, it's very lonely if you have your own company and expand it as just yourself or just the two of you, uh, two co-founders. Uh, it can get very lonely and your way of doing things are not always forever the perfect way of doing things. I, I'm sure that I always want to know people who come and say, 
I don't think that's what we should be doing. You know, it, it's exciting to, to hear, oh, right, there's a new way of doing things. And the other thing, back to the personal history. So I am in my home. I have two very childish parents. I'm making all the decisions. So again, I'm in this company. I'm making all the decisions, most of the decisions. And I needed for this company to grow, to get out of the way of this company. At some point, you need to understand a company is an entity, is an entity that provides people with their to pay their mortgage, to pay their rent, to put food on the table. You have a responsibility that that entity flourishes. It's not about, it should never be about anyone's ego. So one of the things that I work towards is the more you learn about yourself, you might say, well, the more inflated you are like a balloon. Well, a balloon, what, what happens to a balloon, right? <laughs> you have to get out of your own way. You have yes. to be, uh, to work towards less ego. Uh, if you founded a company because you want to be the big kahuna, the big CEO, yes. that's not a good reason that that company is not going to profit from that or flourish from that. I felt that I wanted to find a group of people like-minded and I loved Argus because their attention to quality and quality is an innovation. They have a whole department with like 25 people working for quality and innovation. <laughs> Who can claim that, right? We work with bigger translation vendors that have not one single person dedicated to quality. <laughs> and I, I was really, really impressed. And, and I thought, okay, I found my tribe of people to yes. work with me, right? You we said something you, you, we, we, that there's no question about. And I'm, you know, obviously I, we can make this a promo of a love fest of how awesome we are together and stuff like that. But I would like to focus on, you said something really important there. And this is one of my true beliefs of entrepreneurship is that the biggest barrier to growth and to becoming a successful company is the entrepreneur themselves. If yeah. you can't get out of the way, you are the bottleneck. You are the bottleneck. Now, you are. obviously, you sold you sold your company. There's, there's different ways to do that. You you, you, you you went this route. But like another route would be like you'd have to invest a whole bunch of money. You'd have to get these people who are going to manage it so you could actually, you know, work on the business and not in the business. Um, clearly, you recognize that. And I, I, I think it's like listening to you. I'm not sure, Richard, what's your – but like this – I think Anna said it from the very beginning, self-awareness, but it's come through the whole way. And it's actually so valuable and so important in entrepreneurship because like that's what allows you to actually you keep going further and further and further uh, thanks to that, actually. Yeah. One of the things you need to learn is also what are you not good at? Uh, I, Richard said, I don't come across as a salesperson. I'm not a salesperson. And we yes, have you are. hired our, our yes, sales, you are. Uh, yes, our sales you are. director. And I just <laughs> I'm 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 so excited for her to start in October. My new sales director, uh, but also I'm so fearful because I'm. <laughs> I wanted to, to to say you're you're doing like this. Are you crazy? You know, I just want to looking no, forward no, no. to hear that. What you're doing? What? <laughs> no, I, I want to I want to jump in here because I I think that uh, I think I, I'm going to write a blog post. I don't know when, but I'm going to write a blog post on this. There are so many lessons because I do talks and the stuff to do with teaching entrepreneurship. And there's a lot I've heard here, which I know is true, but I haven't heard said in exactly the same way. But this business of getting out of the way and the entrepreneur being a barrier is true once, but this is true of successful entrepreneurs that, you know, if someone hasn't got the chops to actually build an organization that works, you know, probably they need either to stop being, handing over something that doesn't work, isn't going to work. So, so you, and this is true of both of you, both built successful companies at different, different scales. And, you know, you need to, 
you need to be good at something, building an organization that creates value and then being open to outside outside knowledge, open to new ways of doing things for your own organization. It's so ironic. You're consulting to clients about how they should change their processes, but you're also feeling the need to have someone come in and look at your process and say there's a different way of doing sales, but don't make it worse. You have to have some confidence in what you've done so far that your new director of sales, I hope, is is going to listen to what you did and, and keep the best bits. And to think about it, you and I almost did exactly the same, same thing, just differently, right? We both got out of the way. I mean, you're still obviously you running too. the thing, but you let go of a lot of the the stuff on top, you know, and, and, you know, obviously you're, you're still deeply involved in everything and, but you're getting that feedback. You're getting that thing. And now I, I hired a CEO basically. I, I also got it. Like, like you just need to be, it's the, we did exactly the same differently, but we did it pretty much the same exact thing actually. Yeah. So we got out of the, we, we, we yeah, allowed the organization to continue to go forward. And, 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 and also really what spoke to me is your thing. Cause Richard knows this about me as well is the thing about ego. I think, sorry, I, we talked about bottleneck and, and, and maybe the ego is the bottleneck. The ego is a huge problem. It is. In the entrepreneur, huge. I'm, I, I, me. Yes. I, I, I know I, better. I know what so I'm doing. <laughs> I've always done this way. We've always done this way. <laughs> yeah, that's a big problem. One of the things we encourage the team uh, because it does need to, to permeate the whole culture is uh, try if it works, tell me about it. If it doesn't, just drop it, you know? Try no, something no, new, try a new tool, try a new system, try a new person, try a new way of working, try working from midnight to five. See, you know, if it works, brilliant. Let's see if it works for everybody else. If it doesn't, it's fine. Drop uh, it, uh, fail. Very much, con- very much conscious of time here, because and, and this has been great. And I, I, I really think that from a sort of entrepreneurial learning point of view, this is no insult to our other interviewees, <laughs> other guests, but this has been a great one. Is there anything you haven't shared in terms of lessons you've learned on your journey? Because you've covered a lot. Yeah, you, yeah, you is have there anything the we, haven't, we haven't covered you'd like to share before we move towards wrapping up? Yes, I would say, again, if you are an entrepreneur, if you're running a company, you need to learn about yourself. So read books. Uh, I love the book called Reboot from Jerry Colonna. If you read that book and you feel very uncomfortable, then there's a lot of stuff that you need to to learn and you need to think about it. So uh, get to learn, read books, connect, um, talk to other people. Like your your failures are bound to be the same failures as other people. But I was going to say one of the things that was important lesson for me is challenge your story about money. So money is a story anyway that we tell each other and we agree to give value to that piece of like sapiens. It's not even a piece of paper sapiens. now. It's, sapiens. It's, it's just, a, it's just a, yeah, yes, yes. So the, That's from Yes, Satan. exactly. <laughs> yeah, money is a story, story, but it is a story, yeah. right? And, and he says it very well. It's a story we tell each other, yeah. but I'd go uh, further. So what is your feelings and your position towards money and that you learned from your parents? So go back and, how, and think, how was money used in your household? Was it a bargaining thing? Was it a power thing? Uh, what were the your parents or whoever raised you um, view of money, relationship with money, and start to break that down because a company needs to be profitable. If you're losing money, stop. If you're going to remortgage your house, don't. So you need to focus on the the most important. It needs to be profitable. It needs to pay your salary. It needs to pay everybody's salary. 
So is that because you don't know how to deal with money? Money carries a lot of weight. It carries a lot of emotional weight for you. You need to get past that. So one of the things that I love is I play Monopoly. How do you feel? You know, uh, usually people play Monopoly who have a lot of problems and taboos with money. They play Monopoly. They want to be really rich and they want to be the one to win. And then it's the same thing. It's a game, you know, learn about it, learn well so you're not anxious about it. And then challenge all of your conceptions about it because there probably are misconceptions. I, I, I totally agree lesson. with that. Um, I say two things about that. And Richard knows this very well. One is that if your business isn't making money, it's a hobby. It's not yeah. a business. Yeah, so it's and expensive so hobby. Let's call, yep, call it what it is, but it's a hobby. Um, so yeah, I think that that's, 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 I, I totally agree. I totally agree with that. And, and, and money, unfortunately, is a scorecard of business. It's not the end result. It's, but it is with the measure of how successful your business is. Uh, there is no other way to measure it. Uh, I mean, you know, unless you're a foundation that's doing, you know, and you know, they, um, yeah, you could be a charity and the goal is to actually distribute as much money as possible to distribute as much money as possible to to be as efficient as possible but generally in a privately owned business the scorecard is money um and success is often measured like that and and you, as you said it's a game i mean i i, I do agree that it's with a that story completely. it's a game and don't let it yeah. get in, yourself get it in your own yeah. way and my last last word is going to be a lot of the times where you lose is inside your head. So your, your misconceptions about yourself. Oh, it's going to be hard to get a loan. It's going to be hard to get that client. So you're already lost in your head. You didn't even leave the house, but in your head, you believe nobody's going to hire me because I'm a woman or because I don't have a university degree or because I'm a, a Latin person or because I'm in, the, in a foreigner country. I think we all challenge these misconceptions. <laughs> we were foreigners in other countries and we went and we did it but a lot of the time i could hear myself losing inside my head already so i limited myself before i went and tried because you just if you believe that you're not going to get it you're already lost it's already a lot a lost battle so that's so hard for me that. to believe that's so hard for me to believe you just you should seem like such a self-assured self-confident person that no come on i'm a woman do you think it's easy and i'm a foreigner <laughs> do you think that's easy <laughs> i know but you seem to, I, so I guess it's just perseverance it's just gr grunting your way through yeah so forcing i had a big it. i had a big big breakthrough once uh, when i realized that there was a voice inside my head saying oh you're a woman you're a foreigner you're not white you're nobody you didn't finish university are you crazy so all of these things were telling me that I wasn't going to succeed ever. And then I realized, wow, I, I fought a whole battle inside my head and I lost it. <laughs> you know, yeah. that's just... <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I think I think you know, we could carry on for another half hour, another hour, and it'd still be interesting. But we 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 need to wrap up that that idea of sometimes individual insights, a change of mindset, can be a liberation. And maybe for some people listening, this I hope this podcast can sow some seeds to look at things afresh because there's a lifetime of experience uh, to learn from from this single this single conversation. So, um, well, I'd like to thank you very much, Anna, for for coming. Coming on the show, and Kim, Kim, do, 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 do you want to do the the, the traditional? I'll do the things? I'll do the traditional wrap up. So thanks everybody who took the. What are we talking about here, Richard? We're on an hour and a half. What are we looking at here? And uh, 
for whatever, the significant portion of time to listen to this thank you. So you've obviously listened for an hour and a half. Thank you for your attention and uh, your time. It's obviously valuable. Um, thanks to my daughter, Magda Fantakidis, that uh, does the uh, graphic design and the video editing for this. If you ever need top quality video out here, magdafantakidis.com or whatever her, no, I'm joking, whatever, pre- does a little, uh, little sales pitch for my daughter. Um, Magda Buishkosh for PR and promotion. Uh, she's an intern. I keep saying she's 17, maybe she's turned 18 by now. She's still very young and she does very impressive things at that age. Um, obviously everybody at MBN who uh, does the technical sound editing to get this out there on all the podcast platforms. If you like this, please subscribe, like, love, click, whatever you do on social media. Uh, do that on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts um, or share and comment. And uh, yeah, Anna, I've known you for a while now, but uh, I learned a lot about you today. And, now you know a uh, little more. Yeah, and uh, like really thanks for agreeing to do this. And like, I think your your story is interesting. You're a fascinating person. I'm so, I'm so lucky to be in business with you and I'm so happy. And I just Likewise. know that we're gonna do, we're gonna do, you know, it's just the beginning actually. Cause you know, you've only, this is just the next step is starting now. And I just know that you, I have a huge future uh, at Argos and uh, we have a huge future together, basically. So, Thank thanks. Thank you. We'll do great things. <laughs>